Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Today's guest is Rachel McLeod. Uh, right now, she's in Oregon. I, I love Oregon. I was just uh, up in that region uh, exploring the, the fall. I love the sound of fall. That's a whole other. I'm way off track already. Look at this. Uh, Rachel McLeod is a LCSW licensed clinical social worker. Uh, she helps people. Uh, get rid of their anxiety, their depression, their post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms. And, and she does this through uh, teaching people how to expand instead of contract. Like if you're wallowing in pain, uh, she gets you out of that. If you're, if you're feeling like, oh, why am I not getting resolution and results? Even though I've been in therapy for years, Rachel McLeod got your back. Uh, she's going to guide us through the shortest path to where you are now to accomplishing your long-held dreams. That's right. She's going to help us make our dreams reality. She's also going to help us learn how to get more pleasure and fulfillment out of our life and relationships. That's right. The pleasure and the fulfillment is already there. How do we extract more from it? We're about to, we'll have to do a, 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 a deep search. So like You know how we do those deep searches on the, on the internet? We're about to do that in your relationships in your life, and we're going to extract some pleasure and fulfillment. And we're also going to explore reasons why symptoms of anxiety, depression, and or post-traumatic stress are actually opportunities for expansion. That's right. This is not things that we need to suppress and get rid of and, and, and put in that little, uh, you know how everybody got that drawer with all the messy things in there, or we lock it in the basement. No, 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 no. These are opportunities for growth and expansion. And she's going to teach us how to get our brain to do all of this work for us. That's right. She ain't coming in here with some uh, things you got to plug up to your brain or wrap around your wrist. Your brain has it all. Rachel McLeod, welcome to the episode. Thank you. What a great introduction. I love it. I had a bunch of matcha uh, green tea before this, so I'm super revved up. I haven't worked out yet, so I got all the angst of I got I got right this here. weird cloud of energy and anxiety and like <laughs> so yeah I'm fired up right now. Wonderful, yeah. Uh, I'm loving your energy, Rachel. I want to I want to I just I want to get into this so quickly because I did oh. a deep dive on your YouTube and on your website, rachelmcleod.com. Beautiful. And one of the videos you posted, it has over 100,000 views. I saw this on Facebook. And you talked about um, why talk therapy may not be effective for a lot of people and how to get the most out of your therapy session. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah. Um, the, the, one of the challenges is, is that symptoms of anxiety, depression, and traumatic stress, usually really the problem is not with the prefrontal cortex, the thinking center, which is where you do your talking from and where you understand life and uh, where you're making sense of things. That's usually people don't have a problem with that part of their symptom. As a matter of fact, sometimes they're having a panic attack and they're like, why? This is not dangerous right now. So knock it off, you know? But so when we, most of talk therapy uses that, the, the thinking and reasoning and, and rationalizing 
different symptoms as the method for treating them. But that's not really where the problem lies. A lot of times, and this is what I find all the time, is that there's really an interaction with the survival system that is blocking the brain's healing process. And so the blocking the brain's ability to actually get rid of symptoms and resolve the issues that are creating the symptoms. And so because this part of the brain is the big player in whether or not symptoms get resolved, that's really where I spend the time focusing on. And I really focus and encourage people to use interventions that work specifically and directly with the survival system. Because if you can get that survival system out of the way and unblock your brain's healing pathways, your brain is really able to do a lot of healing work very, very quickly, especially because emotions and thoughts are electrical. And so the brain is working with these things at electric speed. So if you, you know that you are getting results with your intervention, if it really starts to resolve the, the symptom that you're working on resolves within the 30 seconds to two minutes, start not resolves fully, but starts to sometimes, okay, let me back up and just say, sometimes really that's all that's needed to resolve a specific symptom showing up. But a lot of times the, the you can see if the intervention is working because there will be a reduction in the intensity of the emotion or the, the symptom immediately. And so, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say this, this makes sense because even, because um, I also have a background in personal training, a personal train. Yeah. And it's the same thing where if somebody comes in with tight hips, tight shoulders, uh, or, or, or whatever the, the, the physical issue is, um, they want you to um, test it, see what the range of motion is, and then implement an intervention, which should take less than a minute, and then retest it. And within that amount of time, you'll know if the intervention is effective at right. increasing the range of motion. So that makes sense that the same thing would uh, be able to take place for us emotionally. Right. And because the survival system is the big player that will block the whole healing process and the whole symptom resolution process, we really want to speak to it in its native language. And it's not a talking center. It's not a reasoning center. It's not a thinking center. And it sure is not a problem solving center. It is a keep you alive. Are we in danger? Are we not in danger. That's all it wants to know. And when we can send messages to it in its native language that it's actually safe right now, we are safe. And even what happens is the body and the mind is sending distress signals to the survival system and the survival systems reacting by freaking all out. But really, if you're using the right intervention, the survival system will receive the message that we're actually okay and calm down and shift you out of that survival state that creates the symptoms of anxiety, depression, and traumatic stress, and will allow healing to happen. Right. That, that resonates because, you know, when I look at the research on emotions, they have scientifically been able to show that different emotions have different lifespans, like anger usually will last, you know, without interventions for, right. I, I think maybe a couple hours. Cause I know for myself, my, my anger can last for uh, uh, maybe sometimes even days where like joy has um, also uh, an extended lifespan, but like happiness is a very short shelf life. And, uh, excitement has a short shelf life, but even suicidality, um, they found that, you know, within, uh, th like 30 seconds to nine minutes, that impulse to want to end our lives, uh, it it's a small window. And so the brief interventions, uh, yes. quick, effective interventions are, 
are needed and and effective. Right. And and that's really without interventions, right? When you can actually help the brain and so the survival system has the biggest problem when it isn't it, it's receiving so much distress from our body, from our emotions, from our thoughts, from our our subconscious mind, from our conscious mind. It's receiving all this message of distress, right? And that distress is usually those parts of the body having a hard time with emotion, right? So if emotion is coming up, which it needs to, like that's how we heal and that's how we grow is we get that emotion through, the brain converts it into something usable and understandable into energy that can be, that will be used if it makes it through the whole brain's healing, the whole healing process that, that our brains naturally have. That is what the brain will use to create our growth and to create are well, they're just our new ways of being that are higher functioning, right? But because that emotion is so important, not because it's so important, but the fact that it's so important is, is really important to get it through. But it's also the thing that can, the survival system can start registering emotion as pain and start pushing it back down and not letting it through the brain's healing process. And so, and if it stays in the back, it begins to grow because it's not doing its moving thing. And then it starts fueling the back of the brain, which is where you get all your, your survival responses like fight, flight, freeze, and faint. Next thing you know, you're yelling, you're, you're trying to get rid of pain. You're, you're using whatever tools you have, maybe your alcohol, maybe your, um, I don't want to trigger anybody, but you know, some of the things humans do to move emotion right? Which is interesting because all of those things have to do with the body because intuitively we are actually talking to our survival system. Hey, we're fine. We're safe. But the strategies that we'll pick up aren't necessarily without their painful side effects, right? And so some of these other interventions we have like emotional freedom techniques, thought-filled therapy, energy medicine, EMDR even, are really helpful in, in working specifically to calm the survival system, to let healing happen, let that emotion move. And, and like you said, when I'm working with people, that emotion will come up. However, it comes up, we support it, help it to not be so painful. Cause that's, that's the big deal for the survival system. And then it's passed within 30 seconds, two minutes, you know, maybe if it's a really long one, maybe it's three or four. Right. And these, and so when we can get the emotion to move and, and not linger for so long, we're really bringing ourselves out of, out of suffering and we don't have to spend three days in this. Right. But if we can't, this is why people have disorders for multiple years is because, you know, your thinking center is actually trying to grab that stuff through. It's like, I can see how distressed I am. Let me get that. And your survival system's like, no, you can't have that because we'll die. It's too much pain. And so there's that war that goes on that can last a whole lifetime. And so if we can really correct that war and, and, and get the survival system to, hey, just move out of the way a little bit, we can really get a lot of that emotion through and we can really move on to the process of healing, feeling better. Even you know when we're talking disorders, really post-traumatic growth, healing, you know, instead of being anxious, really being creative and solving our problems and grounded, you know? So anyway, that's, I could go on and on, but I think that the, that moving the emotions is really, really, really important. But I think that, you know, you were leading into the conversation about suicidal thoughts and, um, and suicide, suicidality. And what I find is that, um, 
you know, the brain's job is to get us out of pain. That's its whole job. And thoughts of suicide is, is, is how we know the brain is like, this is bad and I need to get us out of pain. And I've tried these other options. Everything's blocked. And then it catches on to an idea. I could die. I could kill myself. And all this would go away, whether that's true or not, right? It's not a thinking center. It's not a reasoning center, but it's like, Hey, I can get us out of pain this way. And that for me is really, really important communication because that helps me understand what I'm hearing when I hear um, clients or people say that they wish they wouldn't wake up in the morning or that they're thinking about killing themselves. What I'm hearing is I'm in a lot of pain. And unfortunately with emotions, not everybody can see the pain, right? Not everybody can understand it. And sometimes you can't even communicate how much pain that you're in but your survival system knows. And it's like, I got you hold on one second. Let me find some routes out of this. And I'm like, I got, I'm, I want to buddy up with your survival system and figure out a way to get out of this. And there are ways, there are beautiful ways that lead to lots of growth and expansion. Um, but we, we want to help it process that, that, um, solution. We want your whole brain to come together about this solution of killing yourself because we want that to move into the parts of the brain that are logical and rational and reasonable. And that, that are that the, the front of your brain is, is set up to really help you thrive and really help you reach your goals. And that's, that's what it's designed to do authentically for you. Nobody else on, there's nothing on this earth that is set up to help you reach your goals and live your best life than your own prefrontal cortex and your problem solver and your, how the brain works there. So we want to get this from emotion and from thoughts that, that can't make it through your, your brain's process for evaluating and analyzing and understanding and problem solving. We want to get that over there because that part of the brain is like, oh, okay, well, this, it wouldn't work for this, this, or this, and, but it, you know, I can see this and I can understand that. So if we can work on, you know, and it really will come up with some wonderful solutions that are pretty perfect. Now that's just one piece of, of helping people resolve that level of depression. The other piece is we need to go figure out where this pain is coming from and resolve that and, and move that through your brain's healing process. Because as long as that pain is back there, your survival system is going to be looking for a way out because that's its job and we you, want it to so I, I i love what you're uh saying right now because it sounds like what you're saying is that the pain is coming up for us in one part of our brain and and part of what your work is is moving it through the parts of our brain where we can actually think about uh what's happening for us rationally and come up with creative solutions to managing it versus uh you know, the all or nothing or catastrophizing of what's happening and also the believing that this will always be like this and, yes. and there's no hope and things can't get better and I'll always have pain. So I love that you mentioned one is um, about uh, how do we dissipate the pain and then also how do we get to the source of the pain, right? Yes. Can you say yes. more about that? Yes, always, always. We never want to apply a topical solution to a very deep wound. 
And many of us are walking around bleeding emotionally because there are so many unresolved wounds that we're carrying around. These are wounds that maybe our parents weren't able to address and help us heal. So we just slapped something on it and kept moving. And I'm not saying that in an insulting way. I applaud anybody who has made it through those things in whatever ways they have, right? Um, but we know that that a wound that has not healed properly really needs to be healed. And so while, while we can, and it's important to apply that, you know, that topical solution and the, the bandaid and all that stuff, we want to get to the root of the problem, especially because once you, we can chase symptoms down all day long and get a lot of healing, right? We can get a lot of space. We're helping our brain process stuff, but you go in and resolve one root issue and everything, every symptom that's caused by that one root is immediately resolved. You know, what's powerful about that is I find that my issue with all the different self-help books out there is that each one is marketing themselves uh, for a specific thing. And if we're, if we're a people, myself included, who, you know, we're spending so much time in our survival system and our emotional brain, then we don't even know which book would be effective for us. Like, do I need more grit? Do I need more resilience? Do I need no. to, um, uh, what is that? Like, not give a F, like whatever these books are. <laughs> like, how do how am I supposed to die? I'm like, I'm supposed to diagnose myself uh, at the at the Barnes and Noble. I see you nodding your head. <laughs> I'm supposed to diagnose myself at the Barnes and Nobles. <laughs> um, you know, yes, and right, but even reading a book is working with the prefrontal cortex, is reading, is working with the front of the brain, right? That's not where the problem is. That's not the root issue. And it can feel like it. And you can say, I'm sure it is, but it's not. <laughs> so, um, and so lots of people can get stuck with that, but it's, it's, it's not helping the brain where it needs the support the most. And there is no amount of talking and reasoning and reading books that is going to convince your survival system to, hey, let's move out of the way and let healing happen. That emotion that's about to pass you is not that dangerous. There's not enough of that. The only thing the survival listens to is your body. That's why, you know, when we, we have small children, what we're hoping to do, what we want, what we're encouraging people to do is really pick them up when they start crying, rock them and regulating. We're actually putting together their nervous system right? And that nervous system stays with you your whole life. Even though you might be 50, your nervous system is the same as it was when it was a baby and it's still responding to the same things, which is touch and affirmation and sounds that are soothing and, and, and those sorts of things. And so if we want out of this, that's the part of the brain we need to work with to be able to move forward. And let me tell you that all or nothing thinking and either, or, and, um, and all those things you listed in the beginning, that's survival level thinking. That's, that's where the emotion, which is energy in motion, right? Is fueling the back of the brain, right? When you know when the whole brain has come together to resolve something, when you have a full range of options, your brain's job is to connect you with all those options. The front of the brain is good at that. As a matter of fact, sometimes it gives us too many options. Right. But you know that you're that you're working from the front of the brain is if you have options in the back of the brain, you don't have options. It's either or and then you're compelled to take one of those. 
and you don't get to choose your survival system chooses for you. And so, and that part of the brain does not know how to make us thrive. Therefore, we really want to get out of there as soon as possible, especially because many of us have been conditioned and have been, um, have found that, <sighs> have been conditioned to spend so much time in a survival state. And so that means that we're spending so much time within the part of the brain, living our lives from the part of the brain that cannot help us thrive, right? And so we're, we're missing out on those opportunities to get very specific, customized, thriving from the front of our brain that would do that. And we're just being compelled to fight, flight, freeze, or faint, or numb, right? Early on, you were talking about EFT, emotional... Um... What what's the F? I forget. Freedom. Emotional freedom uh okay. technique. And I, I noticed that like when I'm trying to think of something, I end up tapping the front part of my head. Yeah. Right. Nobody taps the back of their head when they're trying to think of anything. I, I don't know what may, may, maybe they should, maybe they shouldn't. I don't know. But always, you know, even a thinking man posture is uh, you know, his he's resting um you know, his hands on his, on the front part of his brain, or maybe it's his chin, but, uh, but, but he's, he's thinking. And, uh, I, I forgot where I was going with that, but, but I guess my point is, is, is part of, is part, when you talked about touch, like picking up a baby to soothing, uh, just so it can, uh, to soothe it. Is that part of why we tap ourselves or hold ourselves in certain ways? Yes. And many of us are doing this intuitively. Um, there are, you know, I was, I was telling you, um, before we started that I I'm training in energy medicine because I am, I like to play in other energy in other modalities and learn them and other interventions that work with the other parts of the brain, because you can get a lot more healing from your survival system, from your subconscious mind, from your body, than you really can in the front of the brain. Um, just because of where the material is stuck right? Um, the front of the brain knows I need that. I need that. I need that. Um, but the back of the brain and, and the subconscious mind and the body and, and the survival system isn't, are not necessarily able to give it what it needs, the material that it needs. And so I really like looking for interventions that do that. And, um, one of the interventions that I found is energy medicine. And I, um, I've loved that because you're, you're learning about the body's meridian systems, the chakra systems. Um, I, I go out on limbs to learn how to talk to other parts of the brain. So uh, bear with me on that. Uh, but so we're working with the chakras and um, there's some radiant circuits, but many of the points we hold naturally, like even the thinking man are powerful points on powerful systems that our body is working with. And, you know, about 12 years ago, I, I was, when I started accidentally bumping into energy medicine people, which they scared me, but we don't need to get into that now. We could, um, they, I, I was reading in one of their offices cause I, my friends, I did not know I was going to see this woman who was so far outside the box that I was really glad I was already there and had already paid my money because I was about to run out of that place. But after we were done, I saw a card there and she had a quote from Stanford saying that, um, that our, our cells are communicating 10,000 times faster energetically and, or electrically. I can't remember exactly. I wish I could, um, than they are chemically. 
And so as we're bringing in all these different modalities, we're learning new, not new, we're learning different ways that the body heals itself. And we're, we're, we intuitively know this. I have clients touching their collarbone points when they come in, like they just, you, sometimes they can't even stop. That's a powerful peer fear point. And that's a powerful place of calming and soothing. You know, I have people holding their head. Oh my gosh. You know, those are stress points on their head that helps our body process stress. And not only that, but it helps bring the blood flow and the electrical flow back to the front of the brain, which is where we want it. Because this, when the survival system activates and takes over, it overrides our system and actually starts shutting down our, our thinking center. And then the rest, the sinking center that is functioning is really under the, the compulsion of the survival system. It's being hijacked and used for survival things. Um, and it's not free to, to do its natural work and its brilliant work. So we have so many ways, uh, rocking, um, walking, is really powerful. Um, crying is phenomenal. Um, I just, I, as awesome as crying is, I would not want to resolve a whole disorder with crying because it's a lot of crying. Um, and some of the interventions are much faster and easier and your eyes aren't puffy and your nose is not stuffed up and you know, it's, it's fabulous, but those sorts of things really help us move emotion. And as a matter of fact, we used to have lots of ways, dancing and music and, and being together in, in tribal situations and patting each other on the back and giving each other hugs and, and all that stuff that's really been removed from our cultures and then go ahead and throw a pandemic on it and very little of that's going on. And so those are ways that we found, I mean, those weren't just there for no reason. Those were there because it actually helps our brain process emotion and move emotion. And so now we're, you know, we're, we're reintegrating a lot of that. We're relearning, we're learning to value that again, where in the past, we're just, we, we have so many practices for suppressing emotion and little do we know that's actually the stuff that those are the building blocks of our next phase of development and our next growth. And so it's, it's kind of a, a counterintuitive right now. It's kind of um, backwards thinking. It's, it's going against our programming and all of our, how we've been socialized to just like, and you said, again, if you're wallowing in pain, actually it's a really great practice to wallow in, in pain if you can use an intervention and help your brain process that pain. And pretty soon the pain is not there anymore. You can go back and look for it and be like, I know there, there's pain here somewhere. Go and look for it. You will not find it because once the brain is done with something, it's done. So it's, you know, some of these things that we're afraid to do are actually the right thing to do with the right support to the brain. Can you talk more about the wallowing in pain and why, how that's effective and, and what that looks like to wallow in pain? Um, yeah, well, you know, we just talked about how emotion moves through very quickly, right? And what we do is we tell everybody, stop wallowing in your pain, stop wallowing, keep moving. But the brain's job, your prefrontal cortex, one of its jobs is to solve your problems, right? If you got a wound that's bleeding out, that's a problem. Your, survive, your prefrontal cortex wants all over that. And so it will go as soon as it can, it will go and pay attention to the wallowing. I mean, the, the, the pain, the wound, right? And as you go sit in there, you start to wallow and then emotions start to come up, all the emotions associated with the wallowing, right? And sometimes that emotion is so big that your survival system is like, hey, what are you doing? You're creating, this is dangerous. 
And so then that fight stops, right? It, that starts. And then the, it, it's the boss of when, when things get too um, painful or distressing or survival threats are happening, your survival system is the boss and it will shut down the thinking center and shift you into a survival state. And so as much as our thinking center is fabulous and wants to grab this pain and heal it, if the survival system gets involved, it won't be able to. And it starts all over again. And so then as soon as your, your thinking center can, it gets up and goes to find that pain and does, and repeat, repeat, repeat. That's one of the reasons why we have flashbacks. That's one of the reasons why we have emotional distress. And then we paint our lives with that distress because we're trying to get it out. But really, if we can go with the brain and walk beside and say, oh, you want to wallow over here? Let's go sit and wallow. And while we're wallowing, we're actually using an intervention pretty soon after two minutes, maybe. Okay. Let's say it, it took us a while to get in here. Cause sometimes it does, right. Cause you, you, there's emotion buffering the whole wound now, you know, it's part of protecting us to keep us out of the, the epicenter of the pain. So maybe it takes us a, a 40 minute session to get in here maybe longer if it's super complex, cause we'll take a part of chunk at a time, you know, but by the time we can get into the epicenter of the wound, it's a short process. And then all this healing happens because you know, you know how your life would look if you had a broken arm that didn't heal for 50 years. And I mean, you'd be guarding yourself from people coming to don't bump my arm. Don't, don't bump my arm. Stay back. Hold up. Hold up. I, I'm not ready yet. You know, you'd be, you'd be creating all these buffers. But all of a sudden that arm heals and pretty soon you learn, I don't need all these stay away from me. Actually, I'd like people to come a little closer, right? And so now your brain is resolving all of those reasons why you needed the buffer, right? And so, and then you have freedom to be closer with people. You have freedom, but if you can't let people get near you because you've got these wounds that they'll bump up against and cause you excruciating pain, that's a massive problem. So using a strategy like wallowing, which might be important to do with support, like a professional or a friend, or, you know, some people can do that on their own, but it's not, it's, it, you really want to do it well, because you really can mess yourself up. <laughs> let me not, let's not pretend <laughs> emotional distress really is really, uh, can be really dangerous, you know? So, but going over there and sitting with it, and using the right intervention for you and the right intervention for that specific pain, all of a sudden your brain can finally do the healing work that it can do. Brains are so much better than bones at healing. It's like instant. It's, it's beautiful. And then all of a sudden you have this new area that used to be covered in pain that you can actually stand on. And you can actually, maybe you want to plant some seeds over there. Maybe it's like this this um, land piece of land you had that was covered in water, the pain of, I don't know, fear, who knows, but all of a sudden, all that, that stuff is sucked off of there. And it's actually stuff you can work with and you can grow things. And so it's really helpful to get that space back in your brain through healing those wounds. I love that. And, and I love that you mentioned earlier that, you know, it gives you the freedom to be closer to people. Because I think that so many people have practiced keeping people at bay for so long and being guarded that they think it's who they are, like it's a part of their character yes. and their personality right. versus it's a reaction right. to a wound that they have that they haven't quite healed. Can yeah. you speak to that? Yeah, I think 
think that I, because I, we don't speak about emotions as pain, um, and we're just learning that we can heal these things quickly. I mean, this is not that we've been using talk therapy for a long time. We've been, we've had this idea that once you're ill, you're always ill, you know, that's been, we're, we're changing that now, but, um, a lot of what happens unconsciously with this pain is that number one, you have to protect yourself from activating that pain. You got to make sure that the things that make you feel the pain, they don't happen. Right. And so, and your survival system is working on that and it's fast and it's really good. We got to avoid these people. We got to avoid those people. But then the other thing that happens is that you don't want, you can't, you're trying to get this pain moved, but you can't, it's just staying there. It's staying there and staying there. And then the next thing, you know, you want to protect your, your loved ones from your pain. So you start distancing yourself from them and, and, and you're going through a lot of loss as you continue to back away and you continue to put more space in so that they aren't harmed by your pain. And, uh, and which is unfortunately because the pain can be resolved so quickly, right? But if it's not resolved, it's really pain and it's really a problem, you know? And um, go ahead, you were going to say something. Uh, and, and, and so we, we've talked about like, okay, we need to, movement seems to be part of the antidote to our pain, like moving the pain and then even moving physically. You talked about dance. You talked about touch and hug. Um, what are other ways that we can uh, move the, the um, I don't want to say move the pain, move the emotion, because sometimes uh, I know, at least for myself, the I can't stand feeling hurt yes. or shocked or even disappointed. So <laughs> those aren't painful but they are so uncomfortable yeah. that I will eat a pint of ice cream or yes. watch, uh, you know, porn or anything to yeah. distract myself. That's right. You know, I'll even go hiking for 10 hours to avoid it. Wow. Um, so, yeah, my knees are not happy, not happy at, <laughs> at all. Yeah. Yes. But, but can, you know, so... Uh, Pain is one thing that definitely we want to avoid, but even the gray areas of emotion, those the the nuances of hurt and disappointment and despair. Yes. Yeah. Um, I I would classify those all in the pain category from your survival systems perspective, right? Because it's either or it's plain pain or pleasure, you know? Um, and it's 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 a very um uh, creative shift to shift from pain to pleasure. Right. And when we shift to things like walking or porn or uh, any of those things, we're shifting from pain to pleasure. Right. So we're, we're trying to put our brain off this pain track and put it on the track of pleasure so that maybe we can, you know, keep riding that train for a while and get off on a new destination where we're not falling back onto the, the pain path. So what I find with all those emotions, um, it really matters whether or not your brain can get that emotion through. And some, and what I find is working with brains is that there are some emotions for some brains that the brain just, I got nothing for this total system shutdown survival state, you know, and hurt is one of those, you know, um, gosh, for me, it's longing. If I want something bad enough I, my brain, I just, I have to really use some interventions on that. 
<laughs> but I assist my brain when it comes to that, because that's really right. We have those places where it's so painful to us. We'll jump off um, and do things that we don't care what we do. We just can't do this emotion. And so what if it hurts us now? It's not going to hurt any worse than that pain we were in. And right, that's the reasoning from the back of the brain. Yeah, you, you talked about longing. That's so fascinating because that's something that no one talks about. I haven't heard anybody talk about longing. And uh, Michelle, my girlfriend, she volunteers for a suicide prevention hotline. And the number of kids, kids, especially boys, who um, are suffering because of unrequited love. Mm. that longing and as to me that's a part of longing but yeah. can you talk to us about what longing is how you define that what that looks like and then how you work through that emotion of longing yeah you know i'm going to tell you that first is that i don't um when i feel longing come on and i hear it come on um with clients i'll just go right into an intervention right? We don't, you know, that stuff comes up in a, in a specific form. That's really not in, it hasn't hit the part of the brain where there's understanding yet. And so it's really just all this stuff, right? That may be logical, may not be logical. We don't know because it really hasn't gotten to run through our thinking center where words will be gathered and understandings will be made and we'll figure that out, right? So when that comes up, I use an intervention right away to move it because I know my brain and longing have a thing, right? So I'm using an emotional intervention, like emotional freedom techniques, or I, I teach people how to self-apply these things so that they can help their brain in the moments when their brain actually needs the support and not they're not limited to be doing the work helping their brain in sessions with me. Because when, by the time there's an anxiety, depression, or trauma disorder, there's, there's quite a bit of work to be done. And if we divide the labor, we can really rock it out. So I encourage people just don't think about it too much because you're gonna get your prefrontal cortex all tangled up in this because it doesn't have all the information it needs to really understand and process this. Let's go help it by going to get that longing and escort it through your brain's healing pathways. And then once we get it all the way through and it's rolling around in your, in your thinking center, now let's analyze it, right? So I really teach people to just hold off on the analyzing and let's go, because when we, when we, when we're analyzing something, we're in, we're starting that process that could be blocked by the survival system. Why do that to ourselves? Why stress our survival system out? Let's go, let's have that intervention. Let's use an intervention where we're talking to the survival system and saying, Shh, we're good. Let's just let all that longing move to the front of the brain, right? And so, and then we can let the survival system go back to its job, sit in the front of the brain and be reasonable and reason and understand this longing, longing emotion. But for me, I don't feel like there's any, I don't, I don't speak the native language of the survival system. I don't want to talk about the, the, the emotion before it gets to the front of my brain because it's frustrating. So, um, and, and as the more that people can, that I've found that as clients can get their, their thinking center. And when we have an anxiety, depression, and trauma disorder, the only part of our brain that is working with us most of the time is our thinking center. 
You know, the subconscious mind has been programmed long ago by our parents, our survival systems overreacting because all the, the learning and healing isn't able to move forward. So it's not able to, you know, figure out what's right and what's wrong. And it's all inaccurate, firing off all the time. Um, nobody can control that part of the brain. And then you've got your body that's totally like aching in different places because your anxiety's in your stomach and your shoulders, it's in your tension and, and your legs are, are, are tingling and, and, and your arms feel weak, you know, nobody's working with you except for your thinking center. So it's really easy to just rely on it, over rely on it, but it's like playing a basketball game against a full team and you have one player, but you're actually supposed to have your body. You're supposed to have your subconscious mind on your board, on your team. You're supposed to have your survival system there. Um, let's throw your nervous system in and maybe your inner self, your coach, you know, the leader of the, you know, you're supposed to be at this in a full, full run, full game, but you're going to take on life with one player against five and life is good. I mean, these are this all-star team. So it's, it's, a, it's exhausting. And if we can just not think about the emotion yet, if we can just not get our, not use our thinking center at the wrong time, emotion is not a fine thinking substance. It is probably, but it's not for this purposes, right? But it's not, it's, it is an information. It is a substance, but it's not, it's not a logical substance yet because it hasn't made it through yet. So if we could just stop judging the emotion, stop reasoning about the emotion, stop logically, stop dismissing it, stop saying, well, that doesn't make any sense. So go back where you came from. If we could stop doing those things, we could actually just do the work of, oh, I see there's some longing in the back. Let me, let me make sure you get to the front. Let me help you through. Right. And then deliver that to the part of the brain where you can actually get understanding instead of looping, right? Just looping, looping, because none of the rest of the brain will, will cooperate with it. So when someone's feeling a, a longing and they, they're wanting to move it from the front to the back, because you talked about how, you know, you're, you, you empower your, your patients, your clients to do some of that work on their own uh, to divide the labor. What, what does that look like in, in practical terms for, for the listeners out there who yeah. can't get access to you and, and they're in a state of longing Absolutely. at this moment? Absolutely. Um, well, Number one, let me just say that the interventions, especially emotional freedom te techniques is so easy to learn. And then you can learn it very quickly. I have a free training in my Facebook group, um, releasing the baggage of anxiety, depression, and traumatic stress. I actually do free trainings of multiple interventions. So people can go play with interventions and try them out. Once they have one that they're like, oh man, that helped me. I don't feel so bad or that ache in my stomach isn't so horrible anymore. Once you've got one of those, then you can start to try it with, let me try it with, you can make plans, right? Let me try it with um, anger. Let's see if, okay. And then as, as you have an angry moment, you're like, okay, I'm mad and I'm angry. So right now, instead of, I shouldn't be mad. I shouldn't do all that stuff. I, I can't believe I'm mad. This is such a terrible thing that I'm mad. Instead of doing all of that, just for a moment, say, I'm mad and start using your intervention. This is emotional free. Um, anyway, um, start using your intervention just for two minutes and see what happens before and after the anger, right? You might notice that you're less mad. That's probably what you'll notice. Or you might notice that the emotion shifts and now that it's not anger anymore, now it's sadness. And so you're like, okay, I was mad, but now I'm sad. So just notice I'm sad and use your intervention. I'm so sad, I'm so sad. 
and use your intervention. Sometimes that, you know, you want to, you need to learn some skills. I talk about that in my video, um, in my, the trainings that I do, but, um, but that's a really, like, that's the real, that's it. The rest of the brain does not need your help after that. I, that's what I find. And if it does need your help, because something's more complex, it'll let you know. And then you say, okay, let me help you with that. Uh, and then you use your intervention again, right? And I have people use their interventions a lot because if you've got an anxiety, depression, or trauma disorder, and if you're thinking about suicide, you do, right? Um, that the, this process, this healing process is blocked. The fact that you're having brain health, like, um, and if you ever look up interpersonal neurobiology, there, there's sometimes you can find a great, um, a great writer that will give you, um, video images of what the brain looks like while in a survival state. And the energy is all in the back of the brain. The, the, the images light up in the back. And when the brain is in a relaxed state, it's the, the energy and the coloring is spread out everywhere. And so we really, all we need to do is help move that emotion through there and come out of that state. And all of a sudden your whole brain is able to just do what it does. So anyway, that's, so when, when you talk about the, you know, uh, I'm angry, practice intervention for about two minutes, see where we're at. And then we might find that we're still heightened, but it might be sadness. Yeah. And then practice the intervention. Are we using the same intervention as we're clicking through our emotions? Or are we right. trying different interventions at, at, at every level? Okay. So I, when I was working through my anxiety disorder, I, um, and my complex childhood trauma disorder, um, I only had emotional freedom techniques. As a matter of fact, I thought it, the magic was in emotional freedom techniques. And I just thought that was the best intervention ever. There's no intervention like it. I was like a new convert and uh, <laughs> singing the praises of emotional freedom techniques. It turns out magic is with the brain. And the interventions support the brain. What I have also found is that with hundred percent of my clients, emotional freedom techniques will get them results and it has no known side effects. And it's the easiest one to learn. So I, in, in our very first session, I can hand this intervention to them, a basic training and, and give them a couple guidelines and off they're going and they they will come back to me the next session and report how things are better, what's better, what worked, what didn't work. And most of them will tell me they feel more clear headed, right? So even with a little bit of skill, you can do a lot of powerful work for your brain. So, um, and the other one, my favorite trauma processing intervention is called collarbone breathing. And, um, I don't like to tell people that because at, at the height of my disorder, if somebody had told me to breathe one more time, I was really tempted to throat punch people. Okay. So <laughs> I don't like to tell people that there's going to be a breathing intervention, but I'm going to tell you, this one is my favorite of all. It's like this big sledgehammer that you grab hold of, and then you just put the kibosh on the symptom and it just, just drops all in a bunch of small pieces. And then I feel like there are little, you know, your little inner world, maybe there's little people in there that go grab up the stuff and take it to the prefrontal cortex. It's like, it's now in small enough chunks that it can really be processed really quickly. And I love it for this, the, the emotion, the distress that's in the body. Love it for that. 
Um, so those are the two interventions I use most heavily. And I teach those in, in my Facebook group. The third one is that I use heavily is EMDR, but I really don't match people with that right away, but there is an alternative use of that. That is that I found to be pretty good with almost anyone. And so I do also teach an EMDR strategy in my group as well. Um, that gosh, wonderful. Um, and so those are ones I use, I have used to resolve whole disorders. I know they work. I have full confidence in them. They're my go-to. That's what I teach my clients. And I teach them how to self-apply that. And I teach anybody that will listen to me how to self-apply that. Um, and then there are other interventions that are very helpful. And usually I will match people with that when I'm working with them. And, but I have, I found that any symptom can be resolved with emotional freedom techniques. Any symptom can resolve by collarbone breathing. Any symptom can be resolved by EMDR. Can you talk to us about people. collarbone breathing? I've never heard that. And I'm fascinated. Yeah. Um, well, it's using one of the collarbone points on the body and, um, and you, you actually, there's, you're, you're working with the meridian system. And then there's a point on your hand between your ring, your ring finger and your pinky finger finger. And if you go down into the back of your hand a little bit, there's a little divot between their bones, right? This is a triple warmer spot, which has to do with your fight, flight, freeze, or faint system. So triple warmer is a meridian. That's, that's like the servant of your limbic system, your, your survival system. Right. And so when we talk with that, when we tap on that spot, part of the part of the brain that, okay my words are getting ahead of me. When we tap on that part of our hand on that meridian spot, we're sending lots of powerful communication to our limbic system. Right. And I don't know that language, but the, the triple warmer is all up buddy, buddy back there. And they're having full out conversations about we're good, you know, and actually when we're doing things like eating or watching porn, as you mentioned, or, um, that is actually sending messages to the brain that we're safe because who was ever eaten by a lion while they were watching porn, you know, who was, if you're eating, you're not being killed, right? Cause this is old programming. This is these survival systems were programmed at the our beginning when we were out there hunting and gathering, right? So so we need to, before we had words, right? So of course it would be normal that we don't talk to it in words. So it, when you tap on that, that point there on the back of your hand and you can touch, see, it's very, it's complicated. It, this is the longest intervention I use. Um, actually, sometimes EMDR is a little longer, but, um, and it's very complex. And it's really good to do along with the video. I even have written instructions about how to do it. And I'm always like, ee, you know, I don't, who can follow this anyway. Um, but you just, you tap on that point and you do a breathing sequence. So you take a deep breath in and hold it halfway out and hold it all the way out and hold it, breathe halfway in and hold it and breathe regular while you're tapping at the same time. So, you know, some of these interventions, people think that, okay, it's just cause I'm distracting the brain. And I want to say to that, no, distraction does not solve our problems. It does not heal our wounds. If it did, we would have already done that because all of us have already done the distraction thing and our wounds are still there. And what we found is that there, um, we've had people do testing. Um, if, what if we tap, but not on the specific points and you do get results. If you just tap anywhere, 
especially because your your sub, especially if you do it with some intention, because your subconscious mind is listening to you and it's like, oh, that's what you're kind of telling it a story. And it's like, oh, that's what you want me to do. Okay. I got you. Right. Um, but, and, but it's also having a placebo effect and that's great. Um, but the, 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 the group of people that were tapping on the meridian points that were specifically outlined by Chinese medicine, the results are dramatically higher, dramatically. And so there is something about the points and, um, and this isn't always the right intervention for everybody because some people don't like to be touched. They don't like to even touch their own body because their nervous systems do not like that. And probably flashbacks and stuff that may not even be conscious, but in their body. Right. So, so, so some of these, this, this tapping can be done out away from your body without tapping. You can tap on the points without actually touching yourself. It works just as effectively. And, um, but as I was saying, so the, and there's, there's several different points along the collarbone breathing, uh, intervention that make it kind of a mind scramble to, for me to explain that just without giving a visual. You know what? That makes sense. Which you, when you mentioned some people don't like to be touched, I realize I don't like to be, uh, randomly touched. I like right. to be held, but I don't like to be touched or tapped you know right. some people talk to you or touch you as they're talking to you yep. or uh you know I, so i don't like random uh acts of touch but i do love to cuddle with my girlfriend i do like to just lay there and hold but i i don't i don't like when she like some people like to like when their back is rubbed or stroked or their yep. their hairs I, I don't like any of that Right. But if you just if you keep still together, if we can be still together, uh, I'm all for that. I don't know what that is. But growing up, my mom never stroked me or caressed right. me. It wasn't part of it. So it's, it's very foreign to me. And it, it definitely triggers like a fight or flight. Right. And that you said it exactly right. If it's not done in early childhood, that's when you're your nervous system learns what's normal or not. And then it keeps trying to reproduce that normal, even if that normal is abuse. Right. And I'll tell you, you can get in there and change how your nervous system is programmed and conditioned so that you can do whatever you want to do. You know, you can teach it. Hey, touch is safe. And um, I, I typically like that. What you were talking about being tapped randomly, that's something if you want to resolve, you absolutely can or resolve, or I don't think, cause it's not necessarily a problem, but if you wanted to upgrade that or, or side grade that and turn it into something different, you could like the nervous system is so ready to be changed and worked with. And just because our parents logged this into us, whether they wanted to or not, um, or their, that was their intention. Um, that's what happened, but just because that did occur and that is in there, doesn't mean it has to stay in there. And, and it's really that process of the, the brain's natural healing process that does it. But if that part of our brain is impaired, nothing's getting upgraded. Nothing's getting side graded. Nothing's getting healed. That needs to be healed. You know, so I, I, I love it because it sounds like, you know, there's two parts to this whole thing of first, how do we move the pain? The emotion from the back of our brain to the front of our brain into the prefrontal cortex where, where is thought and creativity and abstract thinking and then yes. how do we then um get creative and logical in addressing the root cause of the the, the pain yes. so uh, to 
to reinforce what we've discussed in terms of moving it from the back of their brain to the front of the brain, uh, we talked about touch and affirmations and so you talked about soothing sounds. That's why sounds can be soothing. Walking, crying, dancing, tribal situations. And then, but really your techniques that you would like to incorporate are EFT, uh, the collarbone breathing, and um, I, I forget, I felt like there was a third one that you... Uh, EMDR. EMDR. Yeah, EMDR. Uh, movement desensitization and reprocessing. Right. And so are there, b before we get into what do we do once it's in the front of the brain, is there anything else that we... Uh, yes. <laughs> that could be mentioned in terms of moving it from the back of the brain to the front? Yes. Um, I want to, you said the word affirmations and I said affirmations too. And I want to really get clear about that because positive affirmations can really mess you up, especially if you've got a disorder. And I want to tell you why and what to do instead. Um, but the affirmations that are very soothing is when people see you and they give words to your experience. I can see this is really hard for you. That does wonderful brain work. Somebody who's is affirming like that. It actually like the prefrontal cortex. This is how Dan Siegel explained to me. And I apologize to him if I'm butchering it, but um, that there's once somebody matches the right word with the experience, the prefrontal cortex starts secreting calming um, uh, chemicals onto the limbic system. That's how I heard it. <laughs> I unfortunately don't have the pleasure of, you know, being there with all the machines and watching all the lights flash and see people's brain fire. But um, so when we get a direct hit and affirming somebody right where they are and right at their what's creating the most amount of pain, we can actually make their brain start calming itself by just be, by just doing that. And so that's that's really what I mean with affirming. And that is happening in talk therapy. Um, OK, let me tell you this. And then I'm going to get back to the other thing I want to say about affirmations, but um, there is a lot of, there is healing work that happens in talk therapy. Um, however, what, what I find is that because in a survival state, the brain is not even like people with anxiety, depression, trauma disorders, the brain is not even firing the same way that people who don't have those disorders is firing. So you're going and living life with a totally different brain function. Right. And so we, what we want is we want the brain to come into a regulated state. We want it to come into a state of calm and Hey, go ahead, whole brain work together. As opposed to everybody do what I say, says the survival system. Right. And so what I found in with using my strategy is that, that to move a whole disorder into remission or multiple disorders intertwined, it takes about 120 to 300 hours of specific and targeted brain work which is quite a bit because we're re, re, reconditioning the nervous system, we're rehabilitating the brain's symptom resolution process and healing process. Um, and we're, we're getting to root causes, root issues, where we go hunt for them based on the symptoms that are showing up and we resolve those at the root. Um, so doing those three things, and then we restore function, right? If your anxiety disorder um, broke your, your function to be able to do your art, you can't paint anything because every time you try to go to do your art, you freeze, right? So we want to restore that function. We, want, we don't want your, your disorder, your symptoms blocking areas of your life. Right. And so to do that work is, like I said, 120, 300 hours of specific and targeted brain work using my process. If there's a different process that's better or faster or slower, there it is. 
That's the one I know. Um, and because I teach people the interventions and I have them do this hour, this, this work for two hours every day, we get through 112 hours in two months. So many disorders resolve themselves in two, two to six months, because I will keep people at that pace until their disorder is resolved. Right. Because they usually people come to me that want to kind of hit it and quit it and learn how to take care of their brain and go live their life. Like I don't typically attract people that just want to be on somebody's couch, right? They're like, I don't care who you are. Let's do this. Let's get this thing gone. I'm suffering, you know, and I'm like, good, let's go. So they really will work quite a bit. Right. And they'll help their brain out. They'll use these interventions for those two hours a day, which helps to do the reconditioning work and the rehabilitation of that, that, that function, the, the symptom elimination and problem solving function. Right. And then, and then while we're doing that, I'm teaching them more and more advanced skills so that they know how to get to the root issues. Right. And I'm helping them do that. And we're kind of trading. I'm doing a majority of the root work. And then as their skills build, I, I do less, they do more. And by the time we're done, they're like, oh yeah, I resolved this memory. I did this, I did that, you know, um, this. And then I'm doing very little except for cheering. <laughs> Good work. And so we just kind of make that exchange like that. So it, it just because it, it is time intensive does not mean it has to drag out for the traditional time of two to six years that people are in therapy trying to recover. That's not, that's not necessary, it, 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 but there's nothing wrong with taking that long. It took me three years. I did. I was my first client. I did not know what I was dealing with and I was just stumbling around. Right. So, and, and really that's in, in this work, that's, that's really the program I developed is really to help people build the skills and do the work. It's very work oriented. It's not a, I don't, my, my programs are not theory programs. I am not teaching you nada because you know what, at this point, we don't need any more in the brain. We need to take that stuff out from the back and bring it to the front. And then your brain fills in so many holes. And then as that healing work is done, then your brain can really reassess you and be like, Oh, you know, we need this. We need this and this and this. And then it sends you out. It's like, Hey, go YouTube that for me. Hey, go Google that for me. I need that. And the next thing you know, you're Googling, right? But before all this stuff comes up from the back, you have so many gaps in your life. And then you're like, oh my gosh, I don't even know where to start. And I need this, I need that, I need this. I need to stop yelling at this person. I need to stop hiding over there. I need to, <sighs> it's a mess. But, and no, there's no amount of bringing stuff in that's gonna fit those holes because the stuff that fits that holes has already been experienced and it needs to come forward and be plugged in. I, I you know, you talked about, um just now about, you know, trying to bring all this stuff out or trying to bring all this stuff in and uh, it, none of it fills the void up. Yes. And it reminds me of one of your videos where you talked about why sharing your story really uh, can um, hurt you and set you back in some ways. Because I think a lot of people feel like, I'm just going to say what's on my mind. I need to get this out. I need to tell people it's, why why, how can that backfire against us and what should yeah. we do instead? Yeah, that's an effort to move the emotion, right? Uh, it's here, it's in my face, it's all I can think about, you know? And if I just talk about it, it'll, I'll feel better, which we might actually feel better. It might take some pressure off. But ultimately, just because we talked about it does not mean we got it through the healing pathways. 
And so if you didn't get it through the healing pathways, guess what? Your inner healer, your thinking center is going to go and try to get it through again, which means you got to go complain about it to the next person and the next person and the next person and the next person. And then you start to feel like, gosh, I am such a drain. I wouldn't even want to talk to me. All I do is talk about this stuff. I keep rehashing it. And yes. And, and I want you to understand because your brain is trying to ignite, initiate the healing process that paying attention to it is how the, the thinking center initiates the healing, the healing process. And And, but just because it's initiated does not mean the rest of the brain is going to come on board and help it through the process. The rest of the brain, if in that impaired state is, it could be working against it. And so it doesn't get through, but your, your thinking center never gives up. It never, it is always trying to resolve that. And that's why you're like, it's this here, it's here again. It's here again. I thought it was 10 years ago. It was 20 years ago. I'm still talking about it. You know, and so the, the fundamental issue is, did it get from the back to the front? You know, that's really, that's really what we want. And, and, and complaining and whining and, and venting while using an intervention would be very effective. It's an awesome intervention because you're doing the part you're a, you're starting the healing process and you're using intervention to get the whole brain to come together, to work together and actually move the emotion. So it, it sounds like what you're saying is, all right, I, I come in, I'm complaining about my day or about, about an emotion. Um, and, and then I would apply an intervention and then I would start my, you know, my story up again about my day or what I'm feeling. And I would probably then notice that I'm not as charged as when I initially, so it's not about, you're not, so it sounds like you're saying don't complain. Uh, or don't vent, you're saying, yes, you, we can start there, but then let's implement an intervention a couple minutes in and then come back and see where we're feeling now. And, and we yes. can, maybe we'll have to cycle through that two or three times, maybe yes. eight times, but over yes. time we'll notice that it, it dissipates. Yes, because once your brain is done with something, it's done. And so all of a sudden you notice, Hey, I'm not complaining about that thing anymore. And I start, I have people start interventions right away when they're complaining, if I can get them to, um, because let's make sure this all gets through this. We want you never to have to repeat this again. You know, let's get this done because usually people are driving themselves nuts too, hearing themselves complain about the same thing year after year after year, you know, let's, let's get that stuff through. And so my motto is complain well vent well, you know, and by well, I mean, let's get the whole brain on this. Let's get everything coordinated. Let's get your survival system engaged. Let's get, let's, let's make sure that that part of the brain is on board with letting all this stuff through. Let's make sure that path is nice and open and go, you know? And so that, that really ends breaks cycles. That's getting the stuff up from the back of the brain to the front is what ends cycles, even generational cycles of trauma, even um, uh, longstanding habits. This is like one of the easiest ways to transform anything. It, I, I love that. It sounds like basically let's throw all our cards on the table. Let's empty out the closet. Let's see everything that's there. And, and then we can start shift, 
sifting through and, and seeing what we want to keep, what we don't want to keep, what works, yeah, what doesn't work, right. what's really going on here. Uh, right. And and so now that we, we've got it to the front part of our brain, we're in the front part, we're calm, we're in a neutral state, um, and, and now we kind of want to get to the root. W- what are some practices uh, at that moment, or how is the intervention changed? Yeah. Um, first of all, whatever you get to the front, your brain doesn't need a lot of help with resolving that. But but one of the tricks is to take the information that's in the front now and, and grab one of them. And you can start asking questions that uh, are designed to get your subconscious, get information from and get these parts of your brain to tell you what they know about this thing that you're talking about. You know, you might notice that, man, I was really, I, my, my chest was so high, tight in that moment, you know? And, and so now that you're in a regulated state and you're calm, you can, you can ask a question like if, um, let me give you an example. Where do I feel this? Okay. We've already got the, the tension in our, um, the tightness in our chest then we might ask a question like, what color is this? And all of a sudden your, your subconscious mind says, Ooh, let me tell you what color this is. It's blue. It's beige. It's yellow. Okay. It'll tell you something or it won't. Right. And if it doesn't tell you, that's okay. Let's keep asking. You know, if this was an emotion, what emotion would it be? It's dread or whatever. It'll tell you your subconscious mind is always wanting to participate. It always wants to tell you its stories. And when it tells you the story, that's actually the subconscious material. That is the, the, the problem. It is accurate. It is precise. But sometimes when it, sometimes we'll see it in images, if we're visual, sometimes we'll, we'll, we'll hear it if we're auditory or, you know, our subconscious has a way of communicating with all of us and it is always communicating. So we can gather up a lot of information about that. We can use a mind body intervention to pull up the fur where if this was a memory, right, we can find the fur because sensations in the body are often stuck emotion or, or old memories that are stored in the body improperly. They really, they really need to be stored functionally and properly. Um, but if they can't get resolved, they just stay in the body. And if you don't clear it from the body, it doesn't symptoms do not go away. So it's so important to get that, get your brain to get that emotion or memory out of your body and through the pathways, which does not take a long time. It does. I, I love that. So it sounds like once we get it from the back of the brain to the front of our brain, once we get it out of our survival system into our thinking, creative, abstract thinking part of our brain, now we can start asking questions, right? Yes. And and I love how you mentioned um uh, you know, addressing it from how the person thinks, because some of us are more visual, you know, like, but for our listeners out there, before we even started this, you know, Rachel, you know, you were like, let's, let's, I, I need to see you, right? Because that's how my brain works. And I mentioned how I have clients who they, they need a visual, uh, a student of mine that um, uh, I meant, I, I mentor um, in Indiana, like he loves to FaceTime and my girlfriend loves to FaceTime where I could just do audio. Right. And so some people are more visual, some people are more auditory. Um, and then some people are more tactile. They, they, they need to be yeah. in the room with you. They don't like to Zoom. That's they right. don't want to listen to an audio book. They want to be around people and need to be touching people. So it's important. And, and people will communicate. They will yeah. let you know on a subconscious level and verbally what their mode of uh, 
I don't know, interaction or learning is. You're nodding your head. Can you speak to that? Yeah, um, it's so true. And that's, you know, when I'm working with somebody, those are, that's the information I want. I'm gathering as we work. Um, I'm gathering, I want to understand how their survival system talks to them. I want to, and, and sometimes people can't hear, but if I will note, Hey, this is your survival system. And we prioritize the survival systems communication over everybody else. Like survival system is VIP. You don't like this. What can we do for you? You know? Um, and, and some people have, um, their, so, and I want to understand how the, the, the communication they have with their subconscious mind and their body. Right. And then I'm looking at stuff. Sometimes I will pick up cues from them that their body is not happy with somebody. Sometimes people's faces change colors, or sometimes people get really still. Um, I'm very visual. So I'm, I'm tuned in to all of that stuff. I have some clients that I, you know, we're, you know, we're having a difficult time making progress. All of a sudden something happens and we're on the phone, like, you know, pandemic and, and then, and the, um, the video option goes out and we're just on the phone and all of a sudden they're, we are, the progress they're able to make is kicked up 10 times. And I'm like, holy cow, <laughs> I had no idea. Uh, but it's like the, the, um, the stimulation that, that the visual stimulation powers people down sometimes. Um, I have clients that when they're processing a trauma, they need to be making eye contact with me very strongly. I have other clients when they're processing trauma, they don't want me looking at them. I'm not looking at you. Great. Um, and all of these interventions and to heal anything, we never have to talk about it. We never have to expose it to heal. All we need to do is pay attention to it. It can be a totally internal process. Sometimes I'm processing stuff with people. I don't know the details. And there are some traumas people never want to share the details with. You know, especially when it's so painful or shameful or upsetting, you know, and so we, we will never talk about that. And after it's through the healing process and they can touch it and not, you know, be electrocuted by their system and, and they can, you know, sometimes they'll be like, I want to talk about it. And then I'll go off and on and talk about it, you know, and I'm just amazed by how, you know, what happens when the brain can heal something. It, the brain is not, I mean, it just does wonderful things with trauma, even the most painful kind the stuff that I'm like, mm. and when I first started this work, I was like, mm, that's a big one. I don't even know. And then, but I was like, let's just keep going. <laughs> let's just keep going. And all of a sudden they would come back and say, you know what, that thing, I, I, I wouldn't change it for the world. And I'm like, what? I would swap that out for like five different things for you. Say the word. I don't know where I'm going. I mean, maybe I'm I'm just willing to go on that because that was bad, right? But the brain is like, whatever, experiences, next. You know, we, we talk so much about, not you and I, but uh, just in the um, the, the at, not atmosphere, but, the, you know, there's a book, The Five Love Languages. And so much talk is about what's your love language, gift, uh, time spent together, et cetera, et cetera. But it sounds like what we're talking about are what's your sensory language, yes. right? Is it taste, touch? In Eastern um, culture or religion, they call it the five graces, mm -hmm. sight, taste, touch, sense, uh, smell. And, and some people operate um, uh, more effectively through their, through their senses. If, if, and they communicate more effectively if they feel like you you're picking up on their sense. So I think a lot of times 
in relationships when people say, you don't listen to me, you don't understand me, they're saying you're not picking up on my sensor, my uh, how I communicate sensorily, but oftentimes people aren't even aware of what their sense of of communication is, but they want the other person to pick up on it. Right, that's so true, and I think that part of the healing process is really reconnecting with yourself. And I find that when people have a task of using the intervention on something, they have to really go within and help themselves. And they have to look at their inner world, right? And they have to see the moving pieces or they have to see a a brick wall that they feel like is never gonna move and then keep using the interventions and watch that thing disappear in order for them to really understand this whole thing can be shifted. We just have to, we might need a little elbow grease or some, some creativity, but we can take down anything and we can rebuild anything. And um, I think I just wandered off. <laughs> it's fine. You know, I, my question that came up for me was, because uh, we talked about how senses, you know, how people can light Thank up you. when their senses are, when they feel like their sense, their, their mode of communication has been addressed. Yeah. Um, have you noticed a time of day shift for people where, and I bring this up because in my therapy session with my uh, with my therapist, uh, we usually had were doing like two thirty p.m. and then we switched to morning six thirty, and she's like, "Whoa, I got a completely different Leo Flowers at six thirty. Like you have way more energy, you're more talkative, et cetera, et cetera." So I didn't know if um, for people they may find themselves able to work through their emotions and what they're dealing with uh if if they're if, depending on the time of their therapy sessions or the, the time of day that they they practice it yeah absolutely all that stuff matters um and you know even some seasons you know sometimes people really do great in the spring some people do not great in the spring you know a lot of that has to do with our natural rhythm but some of that has to do with specific traumas that are being retriggered or um and and our our survival system is listening to our senses right it's it's what it's the body is its instrument and lets us know are we safe are we not safe and the body reminds it of hey remember that one time with different sensory stuff. So sometimes things can trigger people that they have no idea about, like a smell, or um, sometimes I've had clients have um, unknown to them flashbacks when the temperature gets too hot, or if there's a particular humidity in the air, it flashes them back instantly to wherever. And they don't realize that or haven't made that connection yet. And they, all they know is that in this time of the day, they're not okay. Or in this, in this place where that, that, that humidity is, I'm not, I'm not okay. I'm more, I'm more fighty. I'm more flighty, you know? And, um, and that's really using these interventions. We don't need to know precisely what it is because the brain already knows what's going on. And so we're just helping the brain and, and it already knows. So we don't need to get precise. Sometimes we do, but so all we're, we're interacting with the world around us all the time, you know? And so, yes, these, the time of day matters. Absolutely. You, you talked earlier about uh, some childhood traumas that you had experienced. What's your, how, what got you into this field? What was your, what was your challenge growing up? Yeah. Um, I, my challenge growing up was that I, 
I did not realize this. My mom kept a lot of this stuff from me, uh, which I am in hindsight, very grateful for. Um, my family line is full of trauma of some of the ugliest kind. And, um, and so I thought I had been spared it, but my mom had pretty severe depression. And so having a parent with a mental illness does specific things to your wiring, you know, and, um, a lot of her unhealed wounds, um, and her survival strategies, I, I, absorb those, right? I was conditioned and programmed with those. So my trauma was really about um, generational trauma, right? Because I, that I know of, right? So I have recently learned some things that, that lead me to suspect I may have some memories to work through as they appear. Um, but, and um, so let's see. And I look at me opening up the whole Pandora's box on you all, but <laughs> I'm prepared to rock and roll with my, any repressed memories that want to come out, we'll do it. Um, but um, I just spent my childhood terrified um, and feeling very disconnected. And um, there's a thing called alexithymia and that's what happens often with trauma, but it's the inability to put thoughts and feelings into words. And so because my family didn't talk very much, talk did not get wired in that well. And knowing how you felt didn't get wired in and knowing, um, picking up social cues, like I just didn't get that stuff wired in. And I was just constantly terrified that I would make a mistake or that I would be hurt, or I just carried that around forever. But I ended up, um, finding some outs that were pretty natural to me. Like I, I played volleyball, I played volleyball through college. Um, and so I was able to get through all of that, but, um, but it was, and I, I had my first mental breakdown that I had no idea was a mental breakdown. Um, in college, my senior year, I had severe obsessive compulsive disorder and, um, and my, my, the lack of social skills was really starting to show up. But one, one of the great things was, is I had been journaling compulsively, which was actually helping my brain wire in thoughts and feelings into words. And so, and it was helping me uh, redo that wiring. I didn't know that at the time. I know now um, there's lots of ways to do that wiring. I think it can be done a lot faster <laughs> than what I was doing, but I didn't have any interventions then. And so all I knew is I had this compulsion to journal and get my feelings out. So that's what I did. So um, I ended up crying for two weeks or so. And that got me out of that episode because crying is effective. It's, it's, it's the intervention that comes naturally with our body's healing systems, you know, um, and so, uh, and then later after having children, I had another big, I could not solve problems. My brain could not solve any problems. And that's when I was diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder. And I was already a therapist and had no clue that I was mentally ill. Um, and so at that time, uh, I, I had worked with that energy woman that I was at her office and saw the little sign. Um, and she really helped my son tremendously when none of the other doctors I had gone through had. And, um, and quickly, I was like, this is crazy. It had made me rethink everything. Um, but she handed me the training DVD set for emotional freedom techniques. She said, try this, it will change your life. And so at 
at this point, I had just been diagnosed. My life is a wreck. Um, my finances were out of control. I thought I was having a financial crisis. Turns out I was having a mental health crisis. And, but I started, but I went home and I was, I had insomnia. And so I, I was like, I'm going to try this on this insomnia right now. I'm cause I was all, I can't sleep. I can't fall asleep. I need to go to sleep right now. One of these kids is going to wake up. I'm never going to get any sleep and you can't sleep in that state. So I started using that tapping and I tapped through once, which took me about 30, 45 seconds. Cause it was my first time ever. And I yawned and I just, I did, I, I did another round of tapping. I fell right to sleep. I woke up the next morning and I was like, what else can I try this on? And I just went off. I actually kind of handed my, this intervention to my obsessive compulsive disorder and started using it compulsively, <laughs> which is the best gift my OCD ever gave me. Okay. So um, I'm grateful for that, but um, I had been collecting jars. I had been doing like all these weird things that made no logical sense. But as I started tapping on them, I was like, this is kind of crazy, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> and I got rid of all the jars and I had this hanger situation in my, you know, I had to have all the right colors and everything had to be faced. It was just, it was, it was time consuming. It was anxiety producing. It was a mess. So, and I just, I worked through that and it was done. Next thing I know, I was like, I'm putting a colored hanger in there that doesn't match. Watch me. <laughs> and, so, and so, and then I just, I started healing. And I started using it with my husband and his childhood trauma. He, I was like, I don't even know if anybody could heal from this. And he started healing and he would heal. And I was just like, holy cannoli, this is a real thing. And then I was like, and I was a stay-at-home parent at that time. And I spent several more years as a stay-at-home parent. But I was like, this is a real thing. Cause I was very mad at therapy. Cause I was like, this is, I can't even believe this is a thing. This is not what I signed up for. We're going to be talking about this stuff for decades. And these people need help now. Cause I was working with some, some severe drug addicts. Like they had a severe drug addiction. Let me say that properly. Um, they had, yeah. And so I, it was, it was, I just, I didn't, I was so unhappy with that. But then when I found this, I was like, if I ever go back to work, this is what I'll do. And then here I, and then I was like, when I did go back, I was like, let me see if I can just help people with this. And sure enough, it helped. And then, and I was like, I wonder if I could take down a whole disorder. And so then sure enough, I did. And then again, and again, and again, and then I started watching the patterns that would show up, like what people needed when. And then, and that's really what I built my program off after. And then I was like, can I do this faster? And that's when I got the idea. Let me see if I can train them to do this because there's work to do outside of this office. And so I would give them homework stuff and then, and I saw they were getting it. And so that's, and, and I kind of shifted things around, you know, cause I brought this part to the, this, you know, switched parts cause it just seemed to flow better, but it's really, um, it's been really a wonderful journey. And, you know, as somebody with, with complex childhood trauma, um, you know, the, the deal there is we want to make sure symptoms are not right to meet a disorder. You have to have these specific symptoms and they have, and they have to be impairing your function socially, relationally, um, self-care, those sorts of things. We can, get these symptoms out of these things and, and give you back the ability to self-care, right? And so, and if you don't, if that's not happening, then you don't meet criteria for your disorder, right? And so I still have regular people brain uh, challenges. I do support my brain. 
Um, and because it's like in the beginning, you're like cleaning out a hoarder's house because that's what happens with the brain. It's like it didn't get that stuff through and it's all backed up there. And then afterwards, you're just doing the regular everyday, the things that you do when you live in a house that you want to make your house a pleasant place to live, that little care there, you know? And so I absolutely do that. And then about every three months, <laughs> I'll, it'll be time to rearrange the furniture or something or go out and build a fence, you know? Like I see something like, mm, I need to work on that. <laughs> So I'll do a deeper project or, or things like that. And that's really what I teach my clients. I love that. Is there, is there anything that you uh, are, have read or are reading in the fictional realm that has taught you about life or just gave you insights into life or emotions or disorders okay you're gonna have this you've caught me my brain has never figured out the difference between fiction and nonfiction. so fiction is false i know you know how i remember <laughs> they both start with f fiction false ff that's how i remember things from the first letter awesome. so i don't worry i have to do the same mental mechanics myself i go i go wait a minute fiction false i have to do it every single time Awesome. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm a romance novel person. I, I'm all about that. Um, so, and I haven't read a whole lot over the years, but boy, you can just see the subconscious programming in people and you can see the social, the way society has changed and the way the new values that are showing up in our systems by reading them that kind of just fascinates me a little bit but yeah can you speak more to that you, what, what do you mean by the the values and systems um well you right so subconsciouses have stored images and they, it kind of gathers up all the things of meaning. It's, it's, you know, when we're dreaming, our subconscious is doing a lot, or we're doing a lot of healing work and our subconscious is right there involved. Right. And so it tells all these elaborate stories and that's actually subconscious material. Right. And we don't have to question it or whatever, especially if it's a nightmare, we can just grab that, use an intervention and make it sure that whole thing gets through, even though we don't understand it, the brain understands it and we can resolve that. Right. But um, when people are writing, they're writing from their own subconscious material, but they're also writing from the kind of like the collective subconscious material, like all the socialized stuff, all the things that go into the, what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a man, what it means to be an American, what it means to be, you know, over here, over there. Um, and so that's where we pull a lot of this stuff from. Every once in a while, you'll find an author that's pulls that you can see they're just like their creativity, they're pulling from something they've never seen, right? And, um, but in there, their subconscious material is in there, our subconscious material in there. Then our, we're relating with the subconscious material, you know, there's, it's just a really cool process. That absolutely resonates because I'm reading Anna Karenina right now. I've been reading it for nine months. I'm sure my listeners are tired of hearing me say the name. Um, but there's so much that, you know, it was a book that I think was written like in, I don't know, late 1800s, early. 
And the things that they are battling then are the same topics that come up now, like nothing's changed. Uh, I mean, well, not no that nothing's changed, but um, the, the, of lust and love and and identity and uh, you know longing and 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 connecting and um, you know uh, finding meaning and purpose, all, all these classical long-standing values that that aren't going anywhere that people have always dealt with so it's it's fascinating you know these people are in russia you know um and there's no different than what we're dealing with yeah. today here in america so it it makes me feel more connected uh through time awesome is there is there uh any part of your morning or night routine that you think would be of benefit to the listeners that something you've incorporated to kind of ground yourself as a preemptive strike to emotional upheaval? Yeah. You know, um, there's an energy medicine routine that I like. I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a routine kind of gal at this phase in my life. Um, I'd like to be that. I think that would be fun. I have aspirations there. Um, I would like to at least try it out, <laughs> but um but that, and then, you know, especially for people beginning this work, laying down at night, your, your prefrontal cortex, right? Your problem solver is the most active when you're resting, which that means that it's ready to go solve some problems, which actually is, can be really um, people, right? Because if the problem solving process is broken or impaired, that means we're going to get this party started, but it's not going to complete. And there's going to be a lot of pain and it's going to get all the emotions up and I'm going to lay in bed. I'm going to have racing thoughts. I'm going to have a panic attack. I mean, so we learn to circumvent that, um, that process by staying busy, distracting ourselves, playing games, those sorts of things. If you don't have an intervention, I say, carry on, keep distracting yourself. Because if you go into a, if you go into a function in your brain that is broken, you're just going to, it's just going to be very painful and it's not going to resolve because it would resolve already. So um, a great practice to do is to know that when you lay down, your thinking center is ready to go. And so that's a really great time to spend 15, 20, 30 minutes using an intervention, especially, and if your brain wants to do there and do that all night, and it's just one of those nights where you just can't get ahead of it. And it's just going, if you sit there with it and use an intervention, you are getting a lot of brain work. So at least you're suffering for the cause instead of suffering just to suffer the next night. Wow. That's so powerful because I often will take a five minute nap in between my brain work or engagement work. So I'll sit down and I'll, I'll do some work for about 30 minutes and then I'll do a five minute nap. Um, and I've also found that like at bedtime, that's when all of a sudden all the ideas wants to flood my brain. And, and I realize the importance now of uh, those siestas that are practiced in certain parts of the country and historically of like, that's a time for you to think about what you've experienced that morning and what you're going to do for the second part of the day. But if we never really get that time to think and rest and let our cortisol levels, uh, you know, lower, then we don't really get that time to think. Yeah, that's a good point. And that, that just open space, there's so much healing that can happen in that place if it can. Right. And sometimes in that open space, you have more symptoms. Right. And, and that's, that's a big challenge. And that, that needs to be overcome before we can expect people to sit in silence and sit in stillness. That's one of the, the problems with the pandemic is giving people more time to think and more time with their brain. And if that, 
if that process of problem solving is not functioning, that's pain on repeat, you know, and that's a really high need to distract lots of stuff going on there. So it's really important to get those symptoms out of the way so that you can reclaim the ability to be still the ability to just let your mind relax for a moment. I love it. Where can people find you, Rachel McLeod? How can they work with you? Where can they find you? Plug all your things. Okay. Um, I, my website is really the place to go and that's at rachelmcleod.com. And my name is spelled like Rochelle. So that's R-A-C-H-E-L-L-E mcleod m-c-c-l-o-u-d.com and on there that it will really link you to everything i have you can watch a webinar um, of five steps of um getting rid of symptoms I, it's called something kind of fancy i tried um number two um there there's a link to my facebook group on there um the third one all my services all the ways you can connect with me my intensive coaching program um i also made available the curriculum to my my um, eight-week intensive for people that intensive would not be the right fit or who want to do the work by themselves or with um, a therapist they've already developed a relationship with they can absolutely grab that and go in there i am teaching you all the work and, and expecting you to do the work, even if I'm not there with you. Um, because, you know, there's, there's so much that we can learn from reading a book, but if like, if we want to learn how to dig a hole, you actually have to dig the hole. And while you're digging the hole, there's so many things you learn and so many mastery skills you developed by digging the hole. And so that the, that can't like, that can't be replaced. And so when you actually do the interventions the, and, and the strategies to apply those, that's really where you get the results from. So that's available. And then I have an email list and in there I have, I send out daily-ish emails. Sometimes it's monthly-ish. Um, but in there, I am describing specific problems and how to solve them. Uh, so that you can try the interventions. And if you have an intervention, you might be inspired by what I'm writing to, hey, let me try that strategy. I'm trying to make everything available so that people can really take the tools and heal themselves. Right. And I write a lot of my stuff in a fashion of when we're working together. Right. So that it can really feel like I'm there with you. Let's this is what we're looking for. This is the symptom. This is where is this in your body, you know, and really guiding you through that process. So it's it's um, it's not like a it's 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 a high value email thing, which I'm very proud of. People email me and say I was able using this strategy. I was able to stop a panic attack or using this, the intervention. And with that email that you sent me, I did this and I was able to stop those racing thoughts I would have was happening. So that's my goal is that people really can heal themselves. And so, and then if you want more support, obviously there's, there's ways of working with me and getting that. And all of that can be found on my website. I also have a YouTube channel. I've been talking about this stuff for years. I have over almost a hundred videos and um, I have a lot. I have a Facebook page where um, you can also get everything as well. So um, the videos I write, the posts, those sorts of things. So you can follow me, subscribe, like, and keep learning. I love that. And of course, all that will be linked in the show notes. Uh, and then last question I ask us of all my guests, because always imagine there's one person listening in who may be on the precipice of wanting to end their life. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to them, Rachel McLeod? Gosh, so many things. I have videos on this where I talk for hours. 
Okay. Um, I would just say, let's make the pain stop. You know, let's that, I mean, I find that, you know, when people aren't in pain, it's actually pretty awesome to live. There's things people want to do. There's aspirations, but when there's so much pain that you're just being hammered over and over again and blacked out and behaving in ways you don't value, it's that making you, that pain makes you behave in ways you don't value. And, um, you know, I just say, let's, let's make that pain stop and find someone that will help you make that pain stop and, and demand it. You know, if you're, if the therapist you're currently working with is not helping the pain stop, move on, go try another one. Right. So that's what I would say. Thank you so much, Rachel McLeod. Make the pain stop. Thank you so much for tuning in listeners. Remember this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help for you calling the 1-800-SUICIDE or 1-800-273-TALK or the millions of other suicide hotline prevention numbers listed in all of the show notes, whether you're in Budapest or whether you're in Croatia or Nigeria or Australia, there are phone numbers for you. You can talk. There are chat phone numbers. There are groups. Uh, there's somebody out there. Call an enemy. Call, call customer service. Somebody will talk to you. Somebody wants to hear uh, what you have to say. Somebody can help you through that. And, and you can always go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. You can check out rachelmcleod.com. You can go to her YouTube. Check out her YouTube videos. There are so many resources, but you have to make the first step. I know that phone feels heavy when we're in pain. It feels like it's a thousand pounds when we're calling for help, but it's light when we're calling for Uber Eats. So just imagine you're calling Uber Eats. Thank you for tuning in. Let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you.